Let's read James. Now I'm going to read, I'm going to do like I did last week. I'm going to read the whole chapter. And uh, because I'm going to, I'm going to, I think I'm going to cover most of the verses. But the manner that I'm going to do this is not going to be in the same manner that James has spoke them. And so I just want to want to get the whole chapter out so you get the context of what we're talking about. And we're just going to see what God is saying. My, my title for the message is very simple. It's just the cure. I'm not even sure if that's the best title for the message. I heard there was a rock group called the cure. When I looked up what they were all about, I almost changed the title. But but uh, but hey, it, 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 it is what it it is what it is. All right. Verse number one. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet it and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is no purpose that the scriptures say he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. I don't know. I just, it's not in my Bible, but I thought right there would be an amen moment. I just thought it would be because you you can't hardly not rejoice when you hear that the Lord gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves, therefore, (coughs) before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such and and such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. Can you say amen? Now, it's interesting, you know, we've been, we've been uh, walking through James, and, and it's last week I dealt, dealt with the whole chapter. This week I'll deal with the whole chapter. I don't like dealing with the whole chapter of James because of so many different things that he says. Uh, and, and chapter 5, we'll break that one up a little bit more. But there is some contextual stuff here that doesn't seem like it necessarily connects. But when you read the heart of what James is doing, you can kind of see the flow or the thought process that he's dealing with. And we've come to love James, haven't we? I mean, James is a hard hitter, but we've come to love him. We, we come to love those, just like we do Jesus, who's able to bring conviction to us and yet still show us love 
and truth. Am I talking to the right church? We, we come to love people who can just talk straight to us, people who can who, just tell us oftentimes what we don't want to hear but what we need to hear. I was sharing with Tyrone just recently that one of my mentors is someone I only go to him when I know he's going to tell me what I don't want to hear. But that's when I need to hear it. When I've heard everybody else's comments and everybody else's thoughts and processes, and, and, and when I know that everybody else will say, yeah, 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 go, 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 I need somebody to look at me and say, Tyrone, let me tell you why that will not work for you. And James is one of those guys. James is one of those writers who tells us things so different than even the way Paul approaches things. We, we're keeping in mind that Paul was writing to a Roman and, and Greek society. So a lot of the things that Paul had to deal with, James did not have those same challenges with the Jews. And so even in this case, James is talking about warring and he's talking about fighting and he's talking about quarreling. And, and, he, and he asked the question, he says, you know, why is there so much fighting among you? Why is there so much quarreling? Why is there wars? And, and, and all of us know, I, don't, I, I think I can say this, none of us like to be in quarreling. None of us like to be in the middle of fighting. We know that there may be some just wars, but nobody likes to be in war or like to see people in war. James is dealing with the community, though. And remember, James talks a lot to the family. He says brother. He says sister. He says friend. So we know he's talking to the community of the church, and we also know he's talking to the family of God, people that are uh, doing life together or he wants to do life together. And James addresses an issue that evidently must have been happening among them, and he says, why are these fightings happening and why are these quarrelings happening? Why is that seeming to be something that seems to be a con- consistent with you? And he gives the root cause, probably a root cause that maybe on the surface you wouldn't think that would be the issue. As a matter of fact, many times, even when we quarrel with people, we quarrel with people because why? We believe we're right. A- am I right? I mean, you wouldn't quarrel with people if you didn't think you were right. We quarrel with people because we think we're right and we have a point to prove. A- am I talking to the right church? Y- y'all, I mean, y'all argue all the time. Don't try to bail out on me now. And, and so, 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 so we believe that we're right, and we believe that we got a point to prove, but even further, we want to convince you that we're right and that we have a point to prove. Otherwise, we wouldn't argue with you. And, and, and so James doesn't even give credence to the fact of whether we're right or, or not. It's not even an issue. James says the reason that you fight and you argue and you quarrel with people is because there's some evil desires within you. Wow. Wow. Here he goes again. I mean, we want to get through one James sermon where he doesn't get into my Kool-Aid. Why can't I just drink my Kool-Aid and James not get all into it? But here he goes again, overcooking our grits and says, here's your problem. You got evil desires within you, evil passions. There's things that you want, things that you desire, whether they may be on, the, on what you believe is right, whether, you, whether they may be something that you think you need to prove, whether it's something that you think I, I need to convince people of it or whatever, I want it and I should have it. Whatever the case, James says it's, it comes from an evil desire. And so what James deals with once again is the inner person, the inner man. 
The, the stuff in our flesh, the passions that can rise up that we don't always pay attention to. Remember, this is the guy that when he dealt with sin in our life, he says, the sin that you got going on is that you're quick to speak, you're slow to hear, and you don't pay attention to the poor and needy. That's not the kind of thing we usually put on our checklist of when we want to get better. And the truth of it is, it's not a whole lot of us that go around. As a matter of fact, I cannot think of the last time I was at the altar praying with somebody and somebody came to me and said, Pastor, I need to pray, you to pray for me because I got evil passions running within me. It's not one of those things that we just pay a whole lot of attention to. Now, we're honest with ourselves, at least I believe we are. We know we don't always think right. We know we don't always act right. We know that there's some challenges that come in our life, and we have to uh, submit ourselves to the Spirit, etc. But it's hard to say the reason I do what I do is because there's evil passions within me. Evil desires is what James says. I'm just going to take just a, real, just a short minute to talk about desires. Because I, I am a believer. Listen, if I ask you a question, I ask you a question, who created pleasure? You can talk back. God created pleasure. So there's nothing wrong with pleasures. As a matter of fact, some of your translations use the word pleasures. It's nothing wrong with pleasures. There's some pleasures, as a matter of fact, they're legitimate. There's some desires that we have that are legitimate. When a baby comes out of a womb and the baby is crying, the baby is crying for food and the baby is crying for security. That's legitimate. That's a good desire. Most of us as adults, we want ample income. We want to make sure we're living in a place of safety. We want to shelter over our head. We want food. A lot of those desires are legit. Pleasures are legit. There's a lot of things that because of God's wonderful creation, there's a whole lot of things we want to do that we enjoy doing that are absolutely legit. But here's what does take place. There's a fine line sometimes of what's legitimate desire and pleasure and going from God fulfilling the desire of my heart to me believing I want more than what God provides. Have, crossing that line of going from being satisfied and having contentment to wanting more than what God has provided. And this is what we know about our God. God is a God that's always able to provide for us everything that we need. He always does. And he doesn't fail to do that. And if God did not do that, then he's a God that does not keep his promises. But I know that he's a God that is yes and amen. And, and if the same God is able to tell us, to let us know that his son was going to die on the cross, be in the ground for three days and three nights, and he was going to rise him from the dead, why can't I believe that God will provide everything that I need? I mean, that's really the simple stuff compared to lift, raising the son up from the grave. So contentment is what the believer should have. And let me just give you this and I'll, I'll move on. Here is, here is what the scripture says us because there comes a time in your life when, when you, you just, you come to the point when, when you just don't need to hope to buy more, to get more, to order more. When do you ever get enough? Listen to what 1 Timothy 6, 6 and 8 says. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take nothing out of the world. But if you have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Can the church say amen? amen? Godliness with contentment is great gain. That keeps us in that place of being satisfied and healthy and knowing that we can trust God. And I can spend more time with that in, 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 in trusting God. 
But, but hearing what James is saying about fighting in war, wars and quarreling because of evil desires certainly makes me think about being content. But there was another thought that I had on this whole subject. And, and, and honestly, can I just tell you, I told my CLG group, this is, one of the, this is one of the studies that really jacked me up when I had to think about this. And here's, here's one of the things that I thought about. How do you act when you don't get what you want? How do you act when you don't get what you want? How do, how do you express yourself? And, and, and you know, uh, we, when, when you like to be around people, uh, you know as well as I do, it's uncomfortable being around people who are acting out because they didn't get something that they want. The, the manipulation, the attitude, the emotion, they may be talking about other folks because they didn't get what they want. It's a little uncomfortable. Everybody likes to be around folks that are just a little bit easy to get along with because they just are okay with what God is doing in their life. Am I, am, I, am I doing all right? But how do we act? You know, I love the fact we do our family nights uh, on Tuesdays. If we, sometimes we have to, we've had to make an adjustment, I think, once. I love when everybody is at the house, got four um, granddaughters, two more grandchildren on the way. One of them will be a son, thank God, but four, four, four granddaughters on the way. Two of them are best of friends. Aria and Leah uh, are just, they're just best buddies. And they get along well. As a matter of fact, they'll take up for each other. I, I, there was a situation once when I'd done something to Aria. I don't remember what it was. It caused Aria to start crying. She went into, went into one of the rooms. Leah went in there to check on her. Aria told her what grandpa did. Leah comes storming out. What did you do to Aria? You know, they just want to, you know, they take up for each other. They love hanging out with each other. But every now and then, they'll both have something that they're enjoying playing with. But then somebody will say something about the one, oh, Leah, that, I really like that. Show me how you do that again. Then all of a sudden, or it can go the other way around. Aria, even though she likes what she has, and, and Leah will like what she had. All of a sudden now, Aria wants what Leah got. And, and the two buddies, all of a sudden, to see them fighting over, I want that, well, you, you got that. No, I want that one, and I want this one too. And then the crying, and then the fighting, and then to see them separate from each other because they wanted what the other person wanted. I heard the Lord say to me, Tyron, how do we act when we don't get what we want? Do we cry? Do we fight? Do we want to take it from somebody? Do we let envy start working in our heart? God has provided everything that we need and we enjoy enjoying what we need, but then we see what somebody else got. And then all of a sudden, I can't be settled with what I got. Ask folks sometimes, what's on your heart? Where, 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 where are you living in your life? And oftentimes people will tell you what they want to do next, get next, 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 next. When are we going to become the people to just get content with what God is doing in our life? Just get content. And, and so James addresses that, but he, he also hits it from another manner. And this was real tricky because James says you don't have because you don't ask. You ask and you do not receive because you wrongly to spend it on your own passions. And, and on the one hand, and I'm telling you, I've done, uh, this is my second pulpit series from James. I've done two Bible studies from James. And this is the first time I was able to understand the construction from the background or the, the language of what James was really saying. I always thought James was saying, 
you, you, you don't have it because you don't ask. And so my thought was, next thought, you know, if we just ask God. But this time I realized what James was saying by reading it. James was basically saying, you don't dare ask because you know God, is, it's not something God will give you. A whole different approach. So James says, because if you did get it, what you would get is something that you're going to use wrongly anyway. You're going to use a mist, and, and a mist we could break down with the, with, the, with the word here, but basically you spend it on your own passions. Here's what we know, that our God will give us whatever we ask when we ask him for what we need. Let me hit this and I'll move on. Keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks the door will be opened. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, you just turn to your neighbor and says, I'm so glad I got a good heavenly father. Because we can, we can, we can rest in that. We can count on that. We can trust in that. And so James is dealing with this whole issue. And, and basically, he defines it kind of as a worldliness. He, he defines it as a worldliness. Chapter, verse number five is one of the hardest verses in the Bible, actually, to translate. But I believe, I, I, I believe I'm on the right track of what James is saying here. He says, do you think that it's said in vain? that God has given us his spirit that he may yearn or have a jealousy for us or against us. In other words, what James is saying, God did not give us his spirit that he would have to desire or yearn for us to give him the submission and the attention that he so rightly deserves. God did not give us his spirit so that we would fight against God with our fleshly passions. God's spirit within us desires us to give ourselves over to him and allow the spirit of God to lead and guide our life. Now, this is what James does. And this is, this is another one of those flip-flops because James doesn't stop at defining what worldliness is. And, 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 just, and, and just, just, let me, just let me address this for just a little bit because, uh, honestly, I come from a Pentecostal background where... I mean, it was a sin to wear short pants of a man. Uh, women, ain't nowhere in the world you better walk in here with no makeup on and, and no jewelry uh, because, you know, when you, by the time you get back out, Jezebel is all on your back, you know. Don't, don't, don't talk to me about going to no movie theater, Christian movie or no movie. Don't talk to me about no music that, you know, you know if, it ain't, if it ain't Andre crouching, something like that, or, or old rugged cross, you know, I could go right on down the line. But we didn't stop there. As a matter of fact, for us, worldliness, of course, had to do with folks still, you know, dealing with tobacco and, and uh, alcohol and, and clubbing and all that. And believe me, all that is out of line for the believer. Am I talking to the right church? But you know what's interesting? James didn't go that route. He didn't go down the route that would be normal of what we say. You know, you need to stop being worldly. You need to stop going to the club. You need to stop drinking. You need to stop smoking. You need to stop watching them crazy movies. All that is all true, but they, James didn't go that route. Now, Paul might have went that route 
because he was dealing with a Greek and Roman culture and some of the things of immorality, etc., were some of the things that he had to deal with. But James is dealing with some pious Jews. He's dealing with some Jews who believed they were living right. And, and so James could not hit areas that he knew they weren't dabbling in. That wasn't where James had to go. If James was going to deal with the heart of their worldliness, James had to go to those areas that, he, that they were not even contemplating that was wrong. And James says the evidence of your worldliness is that you go around judging one another. That's the evidence of your worldliness. It's the way you slander one another, the way you talk about each other, and how you judge folks who absolutely have are in the hands of the Almighty God. Now, without going into too much, there is, there is manners of judgment in the Bible. First of all, we know that God is the judge. Second of all, though, we know that God gives an a, a, uh, ability within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to judge the people of God. The Scripture says judgment begins at the house of the Lord. And then there's that, that third area uh, uh, of judgment in which we as a people have the ability to come alongside people with the understanding and the mindset that there is manners in their life that they still need to walk through and address. And we bring a judgment to them, but not a judgment that puts them down. Not a judgment that pushes them away. Not a judgment that slanders them. Not a judgment that would do damage to them or do damage to the community. And James says, remember, y'all, we're family. And, and the manner in which you're going about this, you're making statements about folks as if you have the determination of whether people are going to go to heaven and hell. And he said, that's in the hands of the Almighty, Almighty God. It, it doesn't, it's by no means is James giving excuses for people to sin. You know James. James ain't going that route. But what James is saying is this, and I, and I like it. And actually, I, if I can say this, Billy Graham to me said it best. God is the judge. The spirit in us convicts us of sin, and we are to love. And that's our responsibility. That's our job for the sake of family. And many of you have seen, we talked about it last week. You can see what judging and slandering and speaking will, bad-mouthing people, you can see what that can do with the community. James is saying, for the sake of the community, don't carry that kind of worldliness. Don't carry that kind of thing. But then James made another statement of what he considered worldly, and that's presumptuous living. Presumptuous living. James basically said, here is how you can know that you, that, you have, that you have become a friend of the world versus a friend of God. Now, mind you, he's not questioning whether they know the Lord as Lord and Savior. He's talking about how they're living their life, that you're living more like a friend of the world than you are a friend of God. And he talks about presumptuous living. The mindset that we believe and we live from day to day thinking, I'm going to do this, I'm going to go here, I'm going to buy this, I'm going to do this, and this, and this, and this. We have our list of things that we are going to do as if we don't have a God at all, as if we don't have a Lord at all. Presumptuous living. I'm going to do what Tyrone wants to do. I want to do this today. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. And James says, seriously? Do you really believe that you, that has the Spirit of God within you, that's a born-again believer, that submitted your life to the Lord, do you really believe that your life now belongs to you? I can almost hear a rat licking ice. Do you believe that? That when you gave your life to Jesus Christ and you submitted to the waters of baptism, do you remember that what you said is, I make 
Jesus, my Lord. And oftentimes we live life as if we don't have a Lord at all. Can, can I just share this with you? I don't like to talk about personal things, but, but I think in this case I will. I've shared this story with people that have asked, but not as a whole. That whole mindset is honestly what brought me into uh, marrying Virginia. 2017, I went into, many of you have heard me say time and time again, I'm not getting married again. Not getting married again and just, nope, not doing it. And pretty much was set on that. And then things, family was good, church was going good, ministry was going good. And if I can be honest, and this won't offend her, she knows this story. Things were, things were going so well, I had the mindset, why do I want to add a wife to that? I'm just being honest. Why do I want to add a wife to that? The way things were going, things were going well. I'm doing fine. 2017, I went into, I went into January 2017. I know I, didn't, I haven't shared this story publicly. Went into 2017. You know, we start out the year fasting, 21 days of fasting. And usually what I do is... I look back on 2016, and I look at things that's happened, take place, personal life, church life, family life, just a, a few gamuts of things, and see how I've done on some of those things. Sometimes not so good. Some things went great. Some things went better. So I'll, I'll note those just kind of at the beginning of the journal just to write some of that out, and then some things may have to carry over because it didn't go so well. And then I'll go through and write down some things that I want to see God do in 2017, personal level and the church level and family life. And, uh, but I don't pray for everything every day of the week. Matter of fact, Jan Matson was the one that gave me a little seven-day prayer thing that I use where I pray for certain things every day of the, of the week. And so after that first week of praying, uh, we're into the fast. I'm telling you, the, the week ended. I mean, I prayed, we fasted, but it didn't, I was expecting the year just to launch off. I mean, personally, I was like feeling, man, we're going in 2017. Momentum is good. Everything is good. This first week is just going to ramp up and just, and the week of prayer just kind of ended like, ah, just kind of prayed. Went into the second week and I, and I did, I had a sense something wasn't right. And I, I just kind of voiced that to the Lord in my prayer time that I, just, I don't know, it just wasn't a good wasn't what I was expecting. I don't want to say it wasn't a good week of prayer. It just wasn't what I was expecting. Went into my prayer things the next week, hoping that whatever it was, it would, it would either come to, come to light. Because I was asking God, is there something on my list that shouldn't be there? Am I got the wrong thoughts? Am I missing something? Is there something not there? And in the middle of that week, I was talking with someone. We might have been at a cafe, a restaurant. I don't know. It could have even been in a meeting. And they asked me something about marriage. And I said then, out of my mouth again. Marriage is not even on my list. As soon as I said that, it's like I heard God from heaven say, bingo. And you know how you're in a conversation with someone and you don't, whatever else they're saying right then don't mean nothing. Because I got a conversation going on here. I'm like, Lord, you just set off all kinds of bells and whistles and lights and all kinds of things. What's happening here? And as soon as I could get out of that conversation, I spent time with the Lord to say, Lord, what are you telling me? And the Lord said, the air of your life that you're taking lordship over is your singleness. You've become the Lord over your life. Now, I ain't telling none of y'all single people to go have that experience. But this is what I am saying. When Jesus is Lord of our life, he's Lord of our life. 
and whatever the Lord says for our life, we got one responsibility. Can I just say one more thing? And I'm being totally honest with you. When I realize what the Lord is saying, this is a true story. I told the Lord, okay, Lord, I get it. I'm going to pursue that. I'm going to pray about that. I'm going to do what you're asking me to do, but can you wait till after Easter before I have to get on to this? And sure enough, when Easter was over, I got on it and in May is when everyone was hearing what God was saying to me. The bottom line is just this. It's just this simple. And thank God I heard the Lord. My God, I mean, what a blessing. Thank God I heard the Lord. But the bottom line is this. There's no area of our life that we no longer own. No area of our life that we no longer control. If he's Lord of our life and any area of our life that we try to operate in our own, this is what James saying, I'm sorry, but you become a friend of the world. You're walking in worldliness. You become a friend of the world because you're not walking in the manner that God wants. Well, I'm just going to um, wrap this up. I'm going to give you a couple of verses and just say a few things and then I'll, I'll let you go home. We can, we can talk about Jesus. You know Jesus was who he was. And I consider Jesus obviously much more smarter than me and you. And even Jesus, when he went to Garden of Gethsemane, he said to the Father, if it be possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me, yet not what my will be done, but yours. And I've certainly considered Paul much smarter than me. And listen to what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. He says, for I will be going through Macedonia. Listen to this. Perhaps I will stay with you a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on the journey wherever I go. I do not want to see you now and make only a visit. I hope to spend time with you if the Lord permits. And how much of our life do we do without God's way, without God's wisdom, without God's word? Because we let culture determine, or we, we let what's popular determine, or we, we let what's cool determine, or we, we, we think it's all good because, you know, we put something on Facebook and, and we got a whole bunch of likes and everybody said, yeah, 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 good. How much of that is really submitted to the Lord? And this is what James says, life is short. You don't have a whole lot of time to get this right. Can I tell you something, folks? We got one shot at this. We got one shot at getting this right with God. One shot. We're like the kicker on the team. We got one job to do, and that's get it right with God. One job to do. Can you say amen to that? So then James said this, and, 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 and I know I, I said I'm going to close, but, but you're paying attention now because I've said I'm going to close, and I'm really going to close in just a moment. But, but, but then James wrapped up chapter 17 by saying, if you know to do good and don't do it, it's a sin. Now, I don't think Emily minds if I use her, but I was talking about this in our staff meeting. And when I, when I came to that verse, when, the Lord, when James says, if you know to do good and you don't do it, it's a sin in you, Emily's head just went, huh. And I said to the staff, that's the way I hope everybody does. Because it's a fact. How many times do we determine what's good and not what God says is good? and then end up in that place where we're just not quite lining up. But, but let me tell you, let me just take you back a little bit because I don't want you to miss something. With all that James said, I want you to remember what he said in, in verse number five. He giveth more grace. You see, James does not want us and neither do I. I don't want to leave you in that spot 
Well, because I hope through this message, there's been things that's on your mind that you've thought about, things that you've walked through, things that you've had to meditate about, things where you think I may need to make some readjustments, some things I need to really pray about and take to the Lord. But by no means is there any thought here from me or from James to leave you condemned because this is what I know. God gives more grace. And even in the midst of me contemplating, you know, whenever I know to do good and don't do it as sin, I can still hear the voice of the Lord saying, but Tyrone, I give more grace. And, and, and here, here is what I like about Romans chapter 5, those last few verses, 20 and 21, I believe it's Romans, yeah, Romans chapter 5. He says, grace will always outrun our sin. Grace will always win out. But, but let me tell you, though, how, you, how did this grace really be applied to your life? And thank God James didn't leave us hanging there. Because he said, listen, he gives more grace. I get it. We can walk that line of worldliness. I get it. We can walk that line of being a friend with the world instead of with God. I get it. We can do things that we know are sin because we're not doing what we should do. But I want you to know God gives more grace. And this is what he tells us to do if we want to apply that grace. He just gives us three things. He says, submit ourselves to God. Just submit ourselves to God. It's just as simple as saying, Lord, I'm giving myself to you. Now, many of us have already said that. And many of us have done that in some, some action things, whether it be confessing a prayer or whether it be through water baptism or both water baptism. But hear what James is saying. Truly do it. Truly submit yourself to God. And let God really be God of your life. And then here's the second thing, because we all need this. He says, resist the devil and he'll flee. Resist the devil. We don't have to walk with them. We don't have to partner with them. We don't have to talk with them. Can I just remind you, church, you got more power than that booger has. You really do. I, I mean, he can mess with you, and he can, and he can hang around and, and try to make you do things just like he did with Jesus. But don't ever get fooled that he's got more power and authority than you. You can resist the devil. You can tell that booger, shut up. She's by day. Get out of here. Leave me alone. And the scripture says he will flee. You don't have to let him linger around. You can be submitted to God and let the devil know I'm living my life according to him. And then here's the final thing. And hear me, if you haven't given your life to the Lord, I, I don't want you to miss this. Because I'm, I'm going to tell you, we all need the Lord. We all need Christ. We all need a Savior. And he's not a God sitting up in heaven just saying to us, well, you want me just... Come on, keep coming, keep coming. You're almost close, getting warmer. Come on, come on. One of these days, you'll get it right. That's not what he's doing. The scripture says this, we draw near to God and he draws close to us. We draw near to God and he draws close to us. And I'm here, I'm here as a living witness. Every one of us needs the Lord to be close to us. I need his presence. I need wisdom from him. I need to know how to live this life. I need to know how to live in community. I need to know how to be a husband. I need to know how to be a father. I need to know how to represent Christ in my city. I need to know how to lead a church. I need to know how to serve him. We need the Lord. You need the Lord. And if you're here today and, and you haven't come to that place where you trust the Lord as the Savior of your life, or you've come to the conclusion that you need, that, that you've come to conclude that you need God, but you don't know how to bring God into your life, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you do that because where you're at is where he wants you to be. And you don't have to leave here disappointed. 
I'm telling you right now, the scripture says those that hope in him will never be disappointed. And, and I'm, I'm learning that. That disappointment is not just for him returning. I found out that I'm never disappointed in the Lord when I seek him, when I pursue him, when I cry out to him, when I walk with him. I'm never disappointed. Whatever God does, whatever God says, whatever God wills, whatever God desires, I'm never disappointed. If you want to live a life where you can trust the one who created the planet to guide you in the ways of life that's good for you, I'm I'm here to suggest to you that begins by you drawing near to the Lord and giving your life to him. Everybody stand if you would. going to ask you to bow your, your heads for a moment. I, I, I want to, two prayers. One, I'll ask you to hold, hold your hand up and we'll pray about it. But, but you've, you've heard what James has had to say and prayerfully, I hope I've communicated in a manner that makes sense. And if I can just get right to the heart of the matter, if, 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 you're, if you're, you're a believer, you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But, but, but you can honestly say, I probably live my life more according to my will, my wisdom, and my way than I do under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And, and you, you, you saying today, I, I just want to acknowledge that, and I want to do what is good and submit myself to the Lord. If that's you, just raise your hand. Our eyes are clear. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you for being honest. Father. I thank you, Lord God. There's, there's hands all over the building. My hands are up. Both hands are up. Lord, we, we admit that there's so many times and occasions in our life where what we do is based upon our thinking, our will, our wisdom, our way. Sometimes, Lord, we pray. Sometimes we pray and don't listen. Sometimes we don't pray. Sometimes we want you to talk and haven't asked you. Sometimes we feel like we're at a loss and don't really know what to do, but still yet don't totally commit that to you. So I, as those that have said in the day, I acknowledge that and I, I want to I wanna begin today to let Lord be Lord of my life. And so Lord, I pray that, that, that you work in all of us as we make that confession now in Jesus' name. Keep your eyes closed and heads bowed for just one more. I, I talked about wanting to come into the way of the Lord and allowing the Lord to be the Lord of your life. He created you. He knows what's best for you. I was talking with some folks in Portland, Oregon yesterday, and I told them, I said, the only way that you're going to know how to live this life is to look to the one who created you to tell you how to do it. That's the only way. And I'm here to tell you, if, if, if you have not come to that place of looking to God for how to live life and how to do life and what it means to live on this planet based on him being your creator. I'm going to invite you to make that decision today. At at the same time, I'm I'm telling you this. If you draw near to God, he's going to draw near to you. You won't be left alone. You won't be left by yourself. You won't be left outside. You won't be an outsider. You won't be dealing with a God who doesn't talk, who doesn't speak, who doesn't walk with you. He's there. If you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. And that begins by accepting his son, Jesus Christ, as our Lord and Savior. He died for you. He died for all of our sins. 
It's because of what Jesus done, removing the penalty of sin by the blood of Jesus that gives every one of us to go the right to go before God and ask the Lord to be the one who guides our life. You can make that decision today. You can make that commitment. If you're here and you've never made that commitment, you've never asked our God to be the Lord of your life and you want to do that today, I just want you to lift your hands up. Once I see you, acknowledge you, God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Wow. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. You can put your hands down. Those of you that lifted your hands, there's a couple of things you can do. I'm going to pray with you now. There's a couple of things you can do. You, there's going to be prayer teams up in the front. You can come and let someone know you made that commitment that you want to begin today by give, living a life that acknowledges the Almighty God, and they'll help you do that. Well, you can also put it on one of the connect cards that's in front of you and say that, give your name, say today I made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can put it in the offering box. We'll follow up with you and help you get ready for baptism. Or if somebody brought you, you can let that person know, and they'll make sure we know. But this is what I want us to do. I want us all to pray. Well, let's just pray together for these. I saw five hands at least. I'm thanking God. Yeah, let's celebrate that. Let's just pray with them. Let's pray all together, and we'll, we'll wrap this up. Let's just pray together. Father, I give my life to you. I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who died for all of my sins. That beginning today, I can live a good life and I can live a new life because Jesus has become my Lord and Savior. I look forward to living for you and being a Christ follower all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, let's celebrate the Lord today.